We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for November 24th, 2013. And uh, today, kind of a regular current event study, um, probably about 22 pages that we'll totally end up covering. It's actually a 37-page PDF but um, <clears throat> that will be associated with the study. But we're probably going to end up covering about 22 pages of it. Some of it I've already went over. So, kind of before we get into the main body, just a few verses, um, actually about six verses on Thanksgiving. Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So it's always very important to maintain, no matter how bleak the situation may appear, it's very important to always have a attitude of thanksgiving. And I think if you go to Romans 1 as well, it bears that out. <clears throat> where um, Actually, I'm going to go ahead and just go there right now real quick. So if we go to Romans 1, in verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Meaning... No matter if you want to deny God or not, and we're going to talk a lot about the rising and growing atheist movement today, where they literally have churches now, mega churches. Yeah, believe it or not, they've actually got those now, and they're spreading like wildfire. I mean, all you have to do is look up into the sky, you know, whether it be day or night, and just ponder that just a little bit. You know, about us being here and about us, all of this supposedly happening by chance, via the Big Bang Theory, via us evolving out of the primordial sludge of the world, you know, and that spark of lightning that transformed that sludge into some two-cell amoeba, amoeba that eventually developed into us. Yeah, that, that happened. I mean, that's it's really plausible. Um, you look at the sun having to be the right distance from the earth and the tilt of the earth and the elliptical orbit of the earth which you know a lot of this figures into the seasons and into the different zones and i mean uh, making the world a habitable place all of that did not just happen by chance and this is what this verse is in reference to okay ultimately they're without excuse in other words so then it says in the next verse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In other words, they became proud. Vain is proud. Pride is what the first sin that's ever recorded in the Bible, via Lucifer falling, which happened before, Obviously, Adam and Eve, because the serpent was there to tempt Adam and Eve. So he had to fall before them and take a third of the angels with him from a chronological standpoint. The Bible says, <clears throat> Lucifer, regarding Lucifer, because of his beauty and his merchandise, two separate verses, his essentially his heart was lifted up. He became vain. And so it says, they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So, Pride entered in, and then their heart was darkened. 
Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So all of these things are, you know, not... Uh, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Those are all Bible verses and relates to this as well. <clears throat> um, and then it says in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So they think they're wise, they think they're smart, they think they're beautiful, they think they're whatever, but they're fools in God's eyes. But what was the first thing? They glorified him not as God and neither were thankful. So I just really believe thankfulness <clears throat> is something that's incredibly important um, in regard to our relationship with the Lord. So the next verse says, uh, Psalm 26, 7, going back to the these six verses, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Because when you're thankful, you're going to have a tendency to tell others, you know, why you're thankful. Second Corinthians 9.11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. So, um, next verse, Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So prayer combined with thanksgiving. Because if you're not thankful, you're not going to get your prayers heard. Okay, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So, um, if, if regarding iniquity would be an unthankful to God, that would be a form of regarding iniquity in your heart, if you're not thankful to God. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. Now, that word means full of care. It doesn't mean in, in, the, um, in this context. When it says, be careful for nothing, it doesn't mean, eh, don't be careful about anything. Just, you know, be a klutz and just go around and just ramble around in life. And, you know, it doesn't mean that. It means be full of care for nothing. Now, that's easier said than done, but that's what the Bible says here in Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. So in other words, <clears throat> it's saying don't, instead of being all like um, preoccupied and anxious and this and that, which would fall under the, the uh, context of being careful, full of care, it's saying, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request, let your request be made known unto God. So that's the remedy for that. In other words, and then Jonah 2, 9, <clears throat> But I will sacrifice unto thee with the Lord with the voice of thanksgiving. So, in other words, that's a form of sacrifice to God. Us being thankful to him. Praising him, worshiping him, blessing his holy name, being thankful to God. These are, are things that we should just... I mean, there's a lot of times that if... If I pray, I'm not even I'm not even asking for anything. I'm just doing that. I'm just thanking God. I'm praising God. I'm worshiping God. I'm blessing His holy name. I'm not I'm not asking Him for nothing. No no you know what I mean. No hidden agenda. No nothing. Just letting God know how thankful I am. You know that you know just for our life and and, and for all the things He's given us and for the air we breathe and the water we drink and the the food that we eat and the shelter that we I mean just these things, there's so many things that if you start thinking about 
that to be thankful for that you might not have ever thought about. You might, it's very easy to take stuff like that for granted. And I'm not saying that I'm Mr. Whatever, but I mean, it, I would fall into that trap as well. I, I think of things all the time that I hadn't probably never thanked God for. You know, never. But I just, it's, it's, you take it for granted and stuff. Because there's literally thousands and thousands of things you could do that about um, that you may not have ever even thought of before. So, and then it says, um, so it says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. And the Bible talks about vowing to God that it's better not to make a vow to God and not do it. You know, it, 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 be careful what you would ever vow to God. In other words, because if you vow it to God, <laughs> he expects you to do it. And there's verses about that. If, if you just key in, like, vow or vowed in the uh, search box at, like, blueletterbible.com under KJV. And you can find about anything. I know there's other places you can go. That's just one I've went to. Um, and then it says, salvation is of the Lord. So... That's how that verse ends. So let's go ahead and we will get into the teaching for today. Um, And again, we just talked about Thanksgiving. In the title of this next uh, report, this is a senior minister warns that Christians face extinction amid sectarian terror and violence against Christian minorities, which is now a global crisis as worshipers are driven out of their ancient homelands by militants. These are Islamic militants. You know, these stories, the, the thing about these stories that sicken me, and this is, a, this is from a political correspondent named Matthew um, Wholehouse. Anyway, these guys, even though it's so obvious that this is a Islamic thing, this is a Muslim push to exterminate Christians, Particularly where they're in power. And I understand Satan's behind that as well. But they're the most aggressive of all the religious sects out there that are trying to do this. And they're so careful in how they word things as to still not indict them. You know, when they've openly bragged, this is our agenda. You know, to annihilate the, the Christians and the Jews and to annihilate ultimately anybody who's a non-believer in Islam. You know, I mean, that's what the Quran tells them to do. That's their unholy book that they follow. So here we see a picture of a Pakistani man, and if you're you're following along with the PDF, you'll see it. A Pakistani man carries an injured woman on her arrival at the hospital. After two suicide bomb attacks in a 130-year-old church on um, Sunday church service in Peshawar, Pakistan. And she's got blood all over Christianity is in danger of becoming extinct in its ancient homelands because of a rising tide of sectarian attacks. It's Islamic attacks, is what it is, primarily. I understand there's exceptions, but primarily we're dealing with Islam. This was warned, a senior minister warned on Friday, violence against Christian worshippers and other religious minorities by fanatics has become a global crisis and is the gravest challenge facing the world this century. Wow, that's a pretty... This was a lady named Baroness Warsi said this. Um, A mass exodus is taking place on a biblical scale. In some places, there is a real danger that Christianity will become extinct. She said in a speech at Georgetown University in Washington. 
in the new year, Lady Warsi, this Baroness Lady Warsi, uh, who is the Minister of, for Faith, who sits in the cabinet. I guess there's a cabinet that she sits in at her house. It's a nice cabinet. It has doors. No, just kidding. Anyway, um, she will host an international summit to draw up a plan to end violence against Christians, particularly in the countries where the faith was born. Writing for the Telegraph, UK, Lady Worsey highlights the bombing of All Saints Church in Pakistan, killing 85 congregants in September, and the gun attack on a Coptic wedding party in Egypt as the latest outrages by Islamic militants. I had to put the Islamic part in there. These are all Islamic attacks. Now, what's really tragic, even more tragic than just what I'm talking about, is that... The majority of these churches are apostate. Coptic is not a Christian. They they can call it Christian, and in Islam it doesn't matter. They don't care who's really saved or unsaved. But Coptic Christians, it's works-based. They've got their own pope. Okay, I've, I've reported on this in the past. That's what's really tragic. When somebody's supposedly dying for their faith in Christianity, and they're not even saved. But they get lumped in, you know, with the Christians, and and the real Christians get lumped in with them. That's what's really sad. It's one thing to die for your faith. Hey, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what's really sad is when you've got somebody that's literally dying for false Christianity. Works-based. Not through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not through the Lord Jesus Christ at all. No, it's... This religion, denominational, works-based religion. Now, I'm not saying that every single person in every single one of those denominations are unsaved. I don't know their hearts. I, I, I pray to God there are some people in there that would be saved. But the bottom line is, is if they were to strictly follow the religious tenets of those pseudo-Christian denominations, they would end up going to hell. So I have to assume that majority of them are unsaved. Maybe some of them have figured it out. I I don't know. It would be a matter of them opening up their Bible and and getting away from the works-based, man-centered teachings of any particular denomination you may adhere to. That's why the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and that maketh flesh his arm, and his heart departed from the Lord. So, going forward, um, let's see here. Okay, there are parts of the world today where to be a Christian is to put your life in danger. She writes, from continent to continent, Christians are facing discrimination, ostracism, torture, even murder, simply for the faith they follow. Um, the Bible says, John sixteen two, Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. That could apply to an Islam, Islamic person, because they believe that Allah is God. They don't distinguish between, I think a lot of them don't distinguish between the God of, 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 of the Bible and their God, Allah. I think they think they're the same. Allah is the moon God. He's the pagan moon God that's been there for hundreds of years before Islamic God even started. There's all kind of archaeological evidence to prove that as well, and I've covered that in previous teachings. He was one of the main uh, demonic pagan deities worshipped in the Middle East way before Islam ever got started. 
Okay, but they think they're doing God's service when they run in there and they kill, you know, 85 people in a church. Well, you gotta be really messed up in the head to believe that. I mean, if that's the God you serve, you serve one really sick, warped God. He's telling you to strap a nail bomb on your back and, and run into a cafe and blow up little, little kids and, and, and women and, and men and for no reason whatsoever. That's the God I want to serve. You know, where do I sign up? I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And again, it's really, <laughs> it's really sad when you got people that are actually unsaved dying, supposedly for the cause of Christ. That's really sad. You know? Not to say they maybe weren't living a upright life. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, where are they putting their faith? Is it in works or is it truly in the Lord Jesus Christ? His death, burial, and resurrection. His shed blood on the cross. Where are they, where, where have they been taught since they've been little or got into that denominational system? And if you're not, if you're not sure about that, go to my website at contendingfortruth.com and click on the true salvation tab and I walk you through that. And the first teaching is dealing with salvation. The subsequent teachings are dealing with other things after salvation. John 15, 20 says, <clears throat> Jesus Christ says, remember, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So this isn't something that, you know, should be this huge shock to us, particularly in the end times. This article, this report ends by saying Christian populations are plummeting and the religion is being driven out of some of its historic heartlands. In Iraq, Christian the Christian community has fallen from 1.2 million in 1990, to 200,000 today. Wow. That's a huge, huge drop. In Syria, the horrific bloodshed has masked the hemorrhaging of its Christian population. So yeah, the, the, the numbers are, are definitely uh, plummeting. As Islam gets stronger and stronger and stronger in those areas, that's what I said, that's what they will always drive these other um, religions out, if if they can, they will do that, and that is their that is their plan. Their plan is total world domination. Now let's go to the next report, which is entitled "The Purpose Driven Plan to Destroy Your Church." Contrary to the pur purpose driven church propaganda, millions have been leaving their churches after the change occurred. Okay, so I, I had to pause there for a sec. I'm going to read this line. I don't know if I read it before, but it says, Contrary to the purpose-driven church propaganda, millions have been leaving their churches after the change occurred. Well, I thought the purpose-driven life and all this stuff from Rick Warren was to build the church. No, millions have been exiting the church after, you know, his good old book came out. Boy, I tell you what, Rick Warren, boy, he is going to burn in hell white hot. I can't even possibly fathom the punishment. One of the greatest tools of Satan, probably the greatest tool of Satan in modern day Christianity, as far as as far as just damage done, has come through Rick Warren and his agenda. In the past ten years, a large percentage of churches in America and other countries have changed from the traditional New Testament church model to a contemporary purpose driven model. 
many with sorrowful results. I would say all with sorrowful results, really. And again, the Bible says in Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, this article, this report doesn't even get into the whole 501c3 aspect, which was what was really the source of destroying the foundation. And then you go back further and then to 1881 when the revised version came out and all the perverted Bibles started coming into the churches. That's where it really started in 1881. Then you flash forward into the 19, you know, late 40s, early 50s when the 501c3 church exempt, then that really was the next step in corrupting the church. Now, from those two things, you've got so much leaven in the church, so many other things are now satanically permissible and will get in, and will happen in church because nobody's going to notice because the church is already so bad anyway to begin with from these other things taking place. So the foundations have already been destroyed. Really, I believe starting back in 1881 was when it really first started. Uh, is, is it, 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 sorry. It is important that every church member know if their church is targeted for a purpose-driven church takeover. Initially, a small clique of church staff, possibly including uh, a pastor or new pastor, plans the change without telling the rest of the church. Membership. Isn't that nice? Church transitions. This is so evil and underhanded, and it's just like, wow, this is definitely uh, the way churches should behave. I mean, you're not going to believe this. Church transitions which is an associate of the Saddleback Church in California, trains this clique of pastors or clergy in your church to initiate this change in eight published steps. The church membership is not to be informed of the transition until the fourth step. Meaning they're going to totally change the way your church is. And they're not even going to tell you until they're way, way into it. Because you're just a little sheeple people. You don't need to know. We know what's best for you. We're the ones with the, the cemetery. We're cemetery trained. I mean seminary trained. We've got our 501c3 license for this church. We've got all our licensing from the state in order to be a preacher. We got our perverted Bibles. We know best. Now I know that's not true in every case, but it's true in the majority. What I just said. So, the... um. Church membership's not even being informed to the fourth step. After the sixth step in the process of change, if there are some in the church who voice concerns, the following is suggested. Number one, identify those who are resisting the changes. Two, assess the effectiveness of their opposition. Three, befriend those who are undecided about the changes. What a bunch of slime bucket moves we're talking about here. This is like, it's so slimy. Four, marginalize the more persistent resistors. (laughs) Five, vilify those who stay and fight. (laughs) Vilify them. Slander them, essentially. Doesn't matter if it's true or not, just slander them. Why not blackmail them? Why not, you know, whatever? Six, establish new rules that will silence all resistance. This is the purpose-driven life. This is the purpose-driven church. This means the church membership is not told until it's too late to even make a difference. 
In other words, until the church is totally hijacked. Then the members will either accept the changes or leave the church, which they may have served and given to build. Unbelievable. Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Church and The Purpose Driven Life, has boasted, quote, When you reveal the vision to the church, the old pillars are going to leave. But let them leave. They only hold things up. End of quote. See, he is an emissary and an agent of Satan. That's all he is, Rick Warren. And he is like his father, the devil, and of his lusts and of his works he will do. He's a hireling that has no true love for the sheep. His goal through Satan is to annihilate and eradicate any real true churches in America as to make them powerless, as to make them leavened, as to make their prayers ineffectual and their lives ineffectual. That is what Rick Warren's purpose is. I mean, he's as evil as they come. Really is. All the while with a nice big smile on his face, acting like he's doing God's service. Dr. Warren is right in one way. It is the senior members of the church who should indeed hold up a church and keep it from falling into apostasy. While some PDC initiators, meaning purpose-driven church initiators, may not implement the full PDC format, generally these are the signs that your church is targeted for a purpose-driven church format. Number one, well, these are there's a whole bunch. I'm not going to list. I'm just going to list them. Change in music to a contemporary rock style. These are if, if your church is has or is undergoing these types of changes, then you know that it's being targeted for a PDC takeover. Next one. Removal of hymn books, eliminating the choir. Next one. Replacement of the organ and piano with heavy metal instruments. Next one. Repetitive singing of praise lyrics. Um, next point. Dressing down to casual and informal attire. I mean, I see these preachers up there preaching, and they're up there in, like, ripped t-shirts and stuff, and they look like some guy, you know, some bum off the street or something. I'm not I'm not making fun of bums, I'm just saying. I mean, they, they look really inappropriate for their office, is the point I'm trying to make. Again, nothing against homeless people, I, I but I'm saying they, they, could, they could afford to dress decently and nicely, and they choose to, like, look like they just came out of like an uh, 80's grunge band or something. Let's go further. Uh, eliminating of business meetings, church communities, council of elders, and board of deacons, etc. Why? Because they don't want to be held accountable for anything. They want a dictatorship, essentially. Next point. The pastor or the new leader with few assistants, usually four, takes charge of all church businesses. That way they can control everything. Next point, a repetitive 40-day purpose-driven church study program stressing psychological relationships with each other, the community or the world, then that, that whole thing starts to begin, this 40-day purpose-driven uh, church program. This is, this, is the, this is how they're, well, it'd be like if you got into a cult and they had a, a method of um, brainwashing you. This would be something similar that would be done, but they've got to be a little bit more covert 
because they're coming into your territory and doing this to you right under your nose. So, next point. Funded budgeted programs are abandoned or ignored with ambiguous financial reports made. Now, I would imagine that would definitely include missions because we don't need to be given money to missions or whatever for spreading the gospel, you know, or benevolence fund, feeding the poor and the widows and the orphans and stuff like that. We don't need to be doing that. I mean, we need to plow it into our, our salaries and building a bigger, builder, building a bigger uh, church building, you know, to accommodate more people and being more seeker-friendly, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of Bible for that. Anyway, next point. Sunday morning, evening, and or Wednesday prayer meetings are changed to other times. Some may even be eliminated. Well, if you were Satan, you would really want to eliminate prayer. So that would definitely be part of the agenda. Next point. Sunday school teachers are moved to different classes or replaced by new teachers that are more sympathetic with the changes being implemented. Meaning they're trying to get more leaven, more watered down, more mealy mouth people in there. So that all you're getting is fluff and garbage. The name, next point, the name Sunday school is dropped and classes are given new names. Next point, traditional Christian symbols may be moved from both the inside and outside of church buildings. The pulpit may also be removed. Um, next point, in accordance with Dr. Warren's instructions, Dr. Warren, Dr. Rick Warren is what they're in reference to here. What does he have, a, a doctorate in evil? Like, you know, you go to say, Satan U and, and get his doctorate in evil with like a, um, I don't know, a sub, uh, maybe a master's degree in, in um, sliminess. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Um, and of course, with Dr. Warren's instructions, the new version Bibles are used. Only new version Bibles. You throw away that King James. Oh, no way. We can use that. We're not going to use the real word of God. That would be a huge, huge thing for Satan right there. Or only verses are flashed on the screen or referenced during the regular services. And I'm sure you're not going to be encouraged to bring your Bible either anymore. That way they can spoon feed you whatever perversion they want to give you. Next point. Purpose driven church films produced from Saddleback precede, precede and are used during the regular services. So now they're pretty much starting to take over the whole um, teaching of the church. Got their own little films and stuff. Next point. The decor, including the carpets, may be changed to eliminate any resemblance to a formal church. I <laughs> think this is insanity. Next point. The word church is often taken from the name of the church, and the church may be called a campus. Denominational names may also be removed. I see that. I've seen that a lot even up here in North Carolina. Like, elevation. Like, there's one church, elevation. I, I don't even know if they call it a church, but... All these really, really trendy, like, hip, upbeat-sounding names that you would never even really know it's a church. And all they are are ways to get your money and to tickle your ears and to feed you leaven doctrine. Next point, an emphasis on more fun in party sessions for the youth. Because that's what we need more of in church. We need more fun. We need to celebrate more. We need to celebrate our own iniquity more. In our own debauchery more. 
But that's what the Laodicean church is described as in Revelation 3. You know, they're neither hot nor cold, they're lukewarm, but they think they're in need of nothing. They think that they're rich and they're wonderful and they're, they're right with God. And in reality, the way God sees them is blind, wretched, weak, naked before him. That's how they're viewed as by God. But they think they're doing pretty good. Next point, elimination of altar calls or salvation invitations at the close of services. Well, it's like if you were Satan, like, I mean, a a lot of these would be overtly something you would totally want to have. The false Bible versions, um, you know, the downplaying of prayer, the elimination of altar calls or salvation invitations. I mean, this is totally Satan's playbook here that they're following. The next point, the elimination of such words as unsaved, lost, sin, hell, heaven, or other gospel verities from the pastor's messages. In other words, we can't offend anybody. You could have a butch bull lesbian in there, and she's not going to get offended on anything you're going to say at all. This is the type of church Satan would want to have. The reclassification of the saved and the lost to churched and unchurched. The marginalization or ostracizing of all who are not avid promoters of the new purpose-driven program. So in other words, they're going to demonize anybody in the church. They're going to run them out of town. That's the way it's going to go down. Next point, closed meetings between the pastor or chosen staff members without any reports made to the general membership. So in other words, no accountability either. I mean, this is so evil and satanic. Yet, you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that have made this switch. Next point, open hostility hostility to members who do not openly embrace the new program or who may have left for another church. Well, that's good to have open hostility for them for doing the right thing. I mean, I think that's fair. So, what does the Bible say about um, people like Rick Warren and people that would implement this change in their church? Because I will not not hold them accountable for this. They know what they're doing. These people know what they're doing. If Especially if they've had a church like this and all of a sudden they make this radical change to this. They know exactly what they're doing. They're not innocent. And they're going to be held accountable. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Rick Warren would be probably the greatest example. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers... Also, his ministers, Satan's ministers, also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. They appear as that, but they're not. Whose end shall be according to their works. 2 Peter 2, 17-19, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. This is their end. 
For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, like Rick Warren, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Do you understand all those points I just said? Those are, those are to feed the flesh. Those are to appease the flesh. All those points that we just went over, um, essentially. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. So in other words, fleeing a church like that, getting out of there, is the right thing to do. You're supposed to escape from them who live in error. You don't want to, well, I'll change it. No, you're not. You're not going to change it from within. It's already leavened. And they're embracing the changes. You know, it's it's kind of like, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, God's sending the strong delusion. Why? Because ultimately they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And they had no true love for the truth. That's why it happens. God will let you have what you want. If you want that, if you want that delusion, if you want that type of thing, God will generally let you have it. And they're saying that's what we want. So God's letting them have it their way. Um... Then it goes on to say in that verse, while they promised them liberty, like good old Rick Warren and the pastors that propagate this purpose-driven garbage, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Rick Warren and his cadre of, of demon-possessed or oppressed ministers, they're the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. So, you go and you sit in a church like this, particularly after this change has taken place, it will overcome you eventually. You can't just sit in a place like that and and not have it affect you. You're either going to have to get out, or you're going to be overcome by it. And it's ironic because they're promising you liberty, but they're overcoming you at the same time, and they're bringing you into bondage. It's satanic bondage that you can't see, though. It's not like you you walk in there with a whole bunch of chains on you. You, You're not seeing the chains. They're spiritual. Jeremiah 5, 26-31 says, For among my people are found wicked men. My people. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. This is what this is all about. This is about getting you into hell, or at bare minimum making you totally ineffective for Christ. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit, like Rick Warren. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. You think Rick, Rick Warren's rich? <laughs> Guy's probably got more money than he knows what to do with. Kenneth Copeland has his own airport. I mean, jets, fleet of motorcycles, cars. A lot of these guys fly around in jets, these prosperity preachers. So just because somebody's, they'll say, well, see, God did this. He made me, he made me successful. He made me rich. No, the Bible says here, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they're become great and wax and rich. That's not a sign that, that, that you're living a life pleasing to God. God could make somebody rich if he so chose, if he could trust that person to do the right thing with that money, but that person is not going to live in opulence, and in luxury, and fly around in their own private jets and blow all this money everywhere, and eat the finest foods, and when that money could be going and helping other people. That's not what God's called us to. I'm not saying going out once in a while for a nice dinner, but I'm talking about these are the way these guys, I mean, uh, uh, 
whatever uh, whole battalion of servants and you know chauffeur drivers and limousines and all this stuff you're blowing money on. You know, there's no biblical precedent for it. I mean, Jesus didn't do that. The apostles didn't do it. So, you know, it's just something you have to think about there. It says, so their houses are full of, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat, yea, they shine, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. They don't care about the widows and the orphans and the fatherless. They don't care about any of that. They don't, they don't care about any of that. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged, avenged on such a nation as this? A nation. Well, if you think about it, has there ever been a nation since the start of time that's had more prosperity preachers, whether they're a man or a woman, that are now walking around, flying around in jets, spewing forth heretical doctrine that is only going to wind you up in hell, building their own little cults of followers that do what they want them to do so they can sell more books, sell more tapes, sell more DVDs, sell more of their empire so they get richer. Has there ever been a nation on the history of the planet? From a technological standpoint, they couldn't do it anyway. They couldn't do it even back in like Noah's day or, or any other time because of the technology advances we have with you know the ways that you can get your message out with the internet, with DVDs and books and stuff like that. You know, there's never been there's never been another nation that could even could even fulfill this verse like America. And I don't even think I ever really thought about that until just now when I'm it's occurring and dawning on me that there's no way any nation could have ever so fulfilled this verse better than this day and time that we're living in in America. Not to say Europe wouldn't have, you know, in other places. I know this goes on in Africa. I know a lot of this, but they've patterned a lot of what they've learned with the lukewarm apostate megachurches from what they've learned from American pastors that spread to other parts of the world. It started here. So it says, yet they prosper. And then it goes on to say, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Which, you know, when I when I spent my time in Charismania, the Charismatic Church, Pentecostal Charismatic Church, I mean, that was like, you know, all these false prophecies that just didn't come to pass. And then people would just ignore all those ones that didn't come to pass and go to the next one. Because it was tickling their ears. That was the norm. From my standpoint, that's what I saw. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, meaning they're doing it their way. They're being led by their own wicked heart. And my people love to have it so. Again, God sending the strong delusion that they will believe a lie. That... God's going to give you what you want. If that's what you really want, he'll let you have it. And the, the problem is, is when you have somebody in this, and they have no desire to leave, they don't see anything wrong with it, no matter what you present them. 
that is when that's when it's really scary because it's like, wow, dude, you're you're on your way to hell. It sounds like I'm sorry because if the Holy Spirit lived inside you, why isn't any of this stuff convicting you? Why does it appear that your conscience has been seared with a hot iron? Why does it appear that you've been turned over a reprobate mind to do these things that are not convenient? Why does it appear that you're fulfilling 1 Timothy 4.1, where it says, where the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron? Why does that all appear to be the case? You don't have any conviction about all this garbage you're embracing? And any desire to leave it? Well, that's not a really good sign. I'm sorry. I mean, we are to be, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. I'm not saying go around and act all holier than thou and I'm better than you because I've found this. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, it's just scary when you've got millions and millions of people that call themselves Christians in that with no desire to leave, no desire to change, thinking that they're in God's will. It's really scary. I mean, I thank God, God pulled me out of it. You know? And that's, I mean, that's what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sitting here like, oh, I'm better than you, and I'm judging you, and I'm, so, I mean, I thank God the Lord, but I think if you're a, a true born-again Christian, eventually, God will lead you out of that stuff. He might take you through some of it so you can see how bad it is, which, which is what happened to me. And I know we're all on a different um, ultimately, all, a born-again Christian, all ultimately on their way to heaven, but as far as where you're at on that path, some may, some may be starting that journey, some may be having to take through a lot of things and shown a lot of things before they actually get on track. And I respect that, because that's what happened to me. <laughs> you know, um, but... I don't know. It's just, it's some scary stuff if you really start to think about it. And so it says, and my people love to have it so, and what will you do in the end thereof? And that's how the verse ends. So I would say that's a pretty accurate description of what's going on now. Now, this article, this report goes on to say, what can you do to stop it? Meaning, if you see the purpose-driven thing creeping into your church, what can you do to stop it? If your church is in the initial stages of change, um music or the first 40-day program, your church could be saved by talking with other church members and with activist intervention by a, by 20 to, by, I'm sorry, 10 to 20% of the membership. If nothing is done at the early stages, then by the time the program advances to step four, there is little that can be done except look for another church. Your church has been stolen and become a purpose-driven entity in association with Saddleback Church of Orange County or Willow Creek Church of Chicago, which is another apostate den of devils. You must first educate yourself and others so that you can mobilize the membership to effectively resist. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Meaning you're not we're not supposed to fear what the reprisals might be, you know, regarding this. You have to end up leaving the church. Well, well, again, I don't go to a 501c3 church. So my, my criteria is much higher than even this because I know what the 501c3 church, just that exemption, I have a pretty good idea of what it does to a church. 
spiritually. You're yoking up with the IRS and the government. You know, you're beholden to them. They created you, therefore they can destroy you. You know, and Caesar's going to call in the chips. And you're going to be called to, you know, be a part of the whole clergy response team system yoked up with FEMA and Homeland Security. When the natural disasters and the plagues and the pandemics that the Bible talks about hits, you're going to be called to be an agent of the state because you are an agent of the state. You got all your licensing through the government. You know, it's just a natural thing you should expect. So, to me, this is just a byproduct of the 501c3, of, of the false Bible versions and the 501c3 thing. Um, going further. Okay, so continuing onward here, um, we go further, and it says billions of dollars pour into the uh, purpose driven church movement. Dr. Warren has stated he intends to send one billion Christians into the world to bring in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the kingdom of hell? I think he got his terminology confused there. The entire movement appears cultish. Don't be fooled by the Saddleback website. They don't catch many fish unless... You don't catch many fish unless you have a look-alike bait. It's a good point. It's a counterfeit. That's what Satan specializes in doing. Counterfeiting the things of God. He can counterfeit miracles. He can counterfeit signs and wonders. He can counterfeit all that stuff. That's the main way he's going to deceive people in the end times, through miracles and, and signs and line wonders. So that's another thing. The purpose-driven church books and most of the programs are published by Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> I've talked about good old Rupert Murdoch. We're going to talk about him now a little bit. So he's got this guy named Rupert Murdoch, who's the who is the main publisher for most of all of these Rick Warren books, these purpose-driven books. He owns 175 newspapers worldwide. He, he also owns large percentages of television and the communications industry. He also owns several magazines, some of which have been classified as pornographic. This guy is pure evil. I remember reading a, a book one time about him, and it was, it was reporter's perspectives on him and, and they said when he came into the room it was like Satan Lucifer himself had entered the room that, that's the kind of aura the guy gave off and gives off Okay, he's pure evil he's a member of Saddleback Church so I did a, I did a teaching called Rick Warren and Rupert Murdoch who is Saddleback's most infamous member Okay, and I'm just going to read you I give you a link to it if you want to hear it, um, and a link to the source document. But I, I, I am going to just read you my um, description of this teaching. Mega pastor and apostate hireling Rick Warren is being challenged by other Christian leaders for not disciplining a prominent member of his California Saddleback Church flock for being one of the world's leading pornographers. That would be Rupert Murdoch. Chairman of News Corp, which in addition to building a media empire through nude models and edgy, pushing-the-envelope Fox TV network shows, recently began building a stable of hardcore porn channels for its B-Sky B subsidiary. The ties between Warren and Murdoch go beyond the spiritual. Murdoch also owns Zonerfan, the company that published Warren's explosive bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, and HarperCollins' Let me read this again, because I want you to get the full 
thing here. Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch owns Zondervan, the company that published Warren's explosive bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, and also the company that published Warren's explosive bestseller, or I'm sorry, also, I keep messing this up, I'm sorry. Let's try it one more time. Murdoch owns Zondervan, the company that published Warren's explosive bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, and they also, um, he also owns HarperCollins, which publishes The Satanic Bible. I'm not lying. They also, um, Zondervan, um, which is a subsidiary of HarperCollins, which Rupert Murdoch owns, also publishes all kind of gay how-to manuals as well, as well as the Satanic Bible. And they're the same company that, that, that um, publishes The Purpose Driven Life and all of the Zondervan Bibles, if you think about it. <laughs> I wouldn't have anything Zondervan in my house. In November 12, 2006, Orange County Register story, Warren was asked about pastoring a man who publishes tabloids featuring topless women. He responded, this is what Warren said about Rupert Murdoch, I don't have to agree with 100% of what another person does in order to work with them on the 20% that we do agree on. Well, that's really biblical when the Bible says to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And an heretic after the first and second admonition reject and to reprove the unfruitful works of righteousness and have no fellowship with them. Ah, what does any of that matter, though? You know, those are just Bible verses. What does that matter? He doesn't go by any of that stuff anyway. He's, he's bent on destroying the word of God. The article also points out Murdoch was among the first patrons to support Warren's five-point peace plan. That's spelled in all capital letters. I've got into that before. Which he contributed $2 million to Murdoch. Now, here we have one of the most evil, wicked men on the planet supposedly plowing $2 million into Warren's five-point peace plan. The peace plan is integral to ushering in the New World Order and the new religion under Antichrist. And I've went into this before. If you, if you, um, In fact, I give you all most of the teachings I've done on Rick Warren. In fact, here's the second one with a brief description. Now, I do... <laughs> It's kind of in the middle of the teaching. I'm just going to go over the verbiage for what I covered in this teaching, but it's entitled Rick Warren Leading Apostate Christianity Straight to Hell. In this teaching, we will look at Rick Warren's admitted membership of the Council of Foreign Relations via a recent World Daily World Net Daily article. Also, in a recent trip to the Middle East, Rick Warren reported back that he could find no evidence of persecution of Jews or Christians while visiting there. This is, now remember what we talked about at the start, that it's such an epidemic that they're afraid that Christianity will become literally extinct in the Middle East? What is, what is um, Islam's stated goal? To drive the Jews into the sea. Man, woman, every man, woman, and child, total eradication of the Jews and the Christians. But Rick Warren, when he went there, when he went, went to the Middle East, he reported back he could find no evidence of persecution of Jews or Christians while visiting there. Just goes to show you how satanic this guy is. Rick Warren has taken the mantle from Billy Graham and is poised to lead the modern day apostate church straight to hell. I've done teachings on Billy Graham. Okay, as well. You can key that in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. Rick Warren has prophesied a so-called second reformation that will ultimately unite all the religions worldwide. Wow, isn't that what the Bible says? We're going to have a one world religion, one world political system, one world economic system. Yeah, all under Antichrist and false prophet. And Rick Warren is going to be at the tip of the spear, if he's still around, 
um, to see that through, that one world religion aspect. Primarily that part yoking up apostate Christianity with all of the other pagan religions on the planet. That's his goal. That's his purpose. That's the purpose of his purpose-driven garbage that he's spewed out. I have covered this peace plan that I mentioned too in some of these other teachings. Here's just the titles of some of the other teachings. Rick Warren, Obama, and Hillary. And then another one I did entitled Rick Warren's Latest Demonic Trap Exposed, The New Health and Wellness Initiative, which is another thing that they would try to incorporate into the churches, where they bring in, it's promoting tantric sex yoga, which is the most wicked, vile form of yoga you can do. Yoga's wicked and evil, and I've done teachings on yoga, but the tantric sex yoga is by far the most disgusting, evil type of yoga that you can do. I mean, eating your if, if you think that eating your own feces and drinking your own urine and, and combining this with sexual rituals is okay, well then, tantric sex yoga is for you. I'm not talking to my listeners, I'm just saying. This is what it promotes. Okay, It's that vile, disgusting, and debased. But that's what Rick Warren's promoting. And he's also promoting meditation and um, Reiki. You know, the Reiki massage, which uh, demonic energy work, which is just wicked and evil to the core. Yeah, he's promoting that too. So anything that Rick Warren can do to absolutely annihilate and destroy the true church, that's what he's all about. That's what his agenda is. Um, let me see how far this next... Um, I'm going to try to get through this next part so we can have all this on one. The next report is Rick Warren's Chrislam becomes one of the fastest growing religions in America. Chrislam is the merging of apostate Christianity and the ideology of Islam. And it is truly a pit of serpents and devils. One of the main founders of Chrislam, one of its main drivers, is Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in South California. Warren, at the same time, passionately denies his connection with Chrislam, while at the same time promoting it through many of his ministries and outlets. To understand where it all started, journey back to 2009, where Rick Warren addressed the annual meeting of the Islamic Society of North America. He opened by telling the audience how much he had in common with Muslims and the ideology of Islam. He preached a pro-globalization message of uniting together at any cost by laying down our differences. Like I said, I don't know of anybody on the planet in the vein of Christianity with the kind of power that Rick Warren has that is as as aggressive as this guy is to absolutely bringing in the one world religion under the Antichrist and false prophet and destroying Christianity. I don't know of anybody that could compare to Rick Warren. His, it's just he his base of the people that he's been able to reach, the ministries he's been able to corrupt, is just bigger than anybody I know of. Um, so let's go further here. To understand... Um, Okay, we already said that. Oh, he quoted no scripture from the Bible as he was talking to this Islamic gathering and only mentioned the name of Jesus Christ once in passing. But what he did repeat over and over was how Muslims and Christians needed to band together and start working right away on interfaith projects. Warren poured out his interfaith slop and the Muslims ate it up. 
Whereas, where does, what does the Bible say about this? Well, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Bible's very, very clear on that. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, that means agreement, hath Christ with Belial, or the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth, meaning that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ, with an infidel, which is somebody that is... Uh, doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in false religion, an infidel. Proverbs 17.15 says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, which is something that Rick Warren does, I mean, every day, through with, with all of his writings, his teachings, he justifies the wicked, and he condemns the just. Even they both are an abomination to the Lord. So that's what God thinks about Rick Warren. He's an abomination. On two legs. So where was Chrislam born? Rick Warren at the Eisna 2009 conference. And you can click on this video if you want where he addresses these Muslims for, I don't know, 20 some minutes. And he says a lot of the stuff that we just talked about. By the time he was done speaking to the Muslims, Chrislam was born. This is where it started. Again, like I said, this guy's really had a huge, huge impact on bringing in the one world religion. Um, but Warren was only just getting started after speaking to the Muslims. The Yale Covenant was right around the corner. Rick Warren was instrumental in the creation and signing of the Yale Covenant between Islam and Christianity as well. This is the preamble to the covenant, which says, As members of the worldwide Christian community, we were deeply encouraged and challenged by the recent historic open letter signed by 138 leading Muslim scholars, clerics, and intellectuals from around the world, a common word, which was a common word between us and you, which this was the, um, this historic open letter signed by 138 Muslims. This identifies some core common ground between Christianity and Islam, which lies at the heart of our respective faiths, as well as at the heart of most, most ancient Abrahamic faiths and Judaism. We receive the open letter as a Muslim hand of cooperation extended to the Christians worldwide. Oh, aren't, I mean, the Muslims love us so much. I mean, they kill us at every turn in the Middle East. I mean, they're, they're making the whole, Christianity basically extinct over there. They slaughter, torture, kill, you know, little ones and babies and women and, and have no regard for the life whatsoever and will rape them and impregnate them and then kill them and behead them and bury them alive. They're so wonderful to us. I don't know why we would think that, you know, they would have any kind of evil agenda against us at all. And then all the garbage and evil crap they do to their own families, you know, like, you know, or their own races where they, you know, they're taking little girls of three-year-old to wed and, and, and you know, raping them and the pedo- rampant pedophilia and all the genital mutilation of the women. I don't know why we would, we would think anything evil of, of, of their intentions for us. I mean, come on. I, I really think that we're all just being really, really paranoid without any just cause here. Obviously. We're the ones in the wrong. The Muslims are the one in the right. And, and why can't we all just see that? Anyway, sorry, I just... So, let's go further here. Um, We received the open letter as a Muslim hand of cooperation extended to Christians worldwide. In this response, we extend our own Christian hand in return. 
So together with all other human beings, we may live in peace and just and justice as we seek to love God and our neighbors. Before we shake your hand in responding to your letter, we ask forgiveness of the all-merciful one, meaning Allah, in other words, and of the Muslim community around the world. So we're asking the Muslims for forgiveness because the Christians have done them so wrong. Oh, isn't that special? I mean, if that doesn't just bring a tear to your eye and remorse for the terrible, terrible person you, Christian, have been to the Muslims, because they've done so much for humanity, they've been our friend at every turn. I mean, then there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? There's something wrong with you. Sorry, I can't help but commingle extreme sarcasm with this. Um, because I feel so righteous and indignant reading this garbage. Um, I have to vent some other way. Anyway, my comment, okay, the Islamic Quran clearly states, okay, I'm not going to let any of my words more speak on behalf of this. Let's see what the Quran says about unbelievers, okay? All of these supposed Muslims coming together to sign this covenant. Okay. What does the Quran say about all this? Well, the Quran in Surah 551 says, Believers, meaning Muslims, take neither the Jews nor the Christians to be your friends. The Quran forbids what they're doing here. Okay, I'm going to get to this, how this is going to make sense from an Islamic standpoint, though, in a second. Okay, They are friends with one another. So the Quran, Whoever of you seeks their friendship shall become one of their number. The, the Quran is afraid they're going to get converted because they know that this is a fake, demonic, evil religion. Now, true Christianity, and I don't mean Judaism, but I mean true Christianity, say, don't, don't be friends with one of them because you're going to become one of, one of them. That's what the Quran is afraid of. That's what Allah is afraid of because he, he wants you to go to hell. Okay, The moon god. And then it goes on to say, and God does not guide those Jewish and Christian wrongdoers. Okay, so this is straight from the forked tongue of Satan, right out of the Quran. Now, these Muslims will do and say anything in order to advance Allah's agenda. Where? What, what, what basis do you have to draw that on? Okay, Quran, um, chapter 3, verse 54 says, Allah schemed against them, the unbelievers. And Allah is the best of schemers. The Arabic word used here for scheme is or plot is makara, which literally means deceit. If Allah is deceitful toward unbelievers, then there is little basis for denying that Muslims are allowed to do the same as well. Okay, so if it's good enough for Allah, it's good enough for me, in other words. Um, from another Muslim unholy writing, the Hadith we read in Bukhari 52, verse 269, quote, the prophet said, war is deceit. The Muslims have proclaimed jihad, or holy war, against the Jews in America. Now this is just commentary. The Muslims have proclaimed jihad, or holy war, against the Jews in America. A major part of this war is deceit. They are liars. Admit to this in their own writings, in their own unholy books. 
So, for Muslims to go and sh- supposedly shake our hands and act all buddy-buddy with us, while in the same time they're shaking your hand, they're, you know, with their right hand, but behind their back they're holding a dagger ready to plunge it into your heart, essentially. I'm not saying that's literal in every case, but I'm saying that in reality, if they were being true to the Quran, if they were being true to Islam, that's exactly what they would be doing. And you're going to see more and more and more radicalization of Islam as things go further. Because that's the true heart of Islam. Not this moderate is- Islam that, that supposedly, you know, they say that they are. Many of them. Muslims are allowed to lie to unbelievers in order to defeat them. The two forms of deceit are called takiria, which is saying something that isn't true, and kitman, which is lying by omission. Allah and then here's some more wonderful verses from the Quran. Surah 3360 from the Quran. Allah has cursed the unbelievers and proposed them for a blazing hell. Next one, Surah 4114. Unbelievers are enemies of Allah and they will roast in hell. A really lovely sentiment there. And, and uh, you know. So, you will note that the Yale Covenant, now we're going back to the main report. You will note that the Yale Covenant preamble ends with the with this esteemed board of Laodicean apostates asking for forgiveness from the all-merciful one, Allah. They have placed the Muslim moon god on the same playing field as the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the Bible. This covenant was signed between the Christians and the Muslims. This covenant was signed by hundreds of religious leaders from all across America. So through Rick Warren... So though Rick Warren issues a constant stream of denials about his role in Chrislam, everywhere you look, there he is, right in the middle of it. All the evidence always leads back to him, and he has recruited many others to join him. And, and a guy like, again, like Rick Warren and like others, these are people that you could literally focus on in prayer. That God exposed them for the wolves in sheep's clothing that they are. Because they're leading people to hell. And when, and when evil, when the mask is taken off evil people like this, people tend to get saved because they're like, wow, that guy was evil. And wow, I can't believe I was so blinded by him. And now I've seen, you know, the truth. So it's a good thing, you know, to pray in that manner. And this is, again, Psalm 64 and those types of things that I've done teachings on. Okay, so, um, let's see here. All evidence always leads back to Rick Warren, and he has recruited many others to join him. John Hagee's son, Matthew, has a ministry that uses the crescent moon of Islam and the Christian logo as a cross. Uh, Christian cross as a logo. They combine the two. Here's a screenshot of it. This was just a very, very recent. This was on John Hagee today, and it, and it's, it shows the the, the uh, crescent moon and the cross combined. So it says here in the caption, why. Does John Hagee's son use the Muslim crescent moon and the Christian cross in his logo? That's Chrislam. And this is more of a subliminal thing you're seeing as it flashes on the screen to get you conditioned to accept this. Glenn Beck went to Israel and made a video promoting a universal religion with Christianity and Islam as its core. Glenn Beck, okay? Note how he equates the God of the Bible as the same as the moon God of Islam. Yeah, this is this is the essence of what Chrislam is all about. Beck's universalist message is in perfect harmony with Rick Warren's global interfaith vision of Chrislam, 
we are seeing more and more pastors getting in line behind Warren's demonic vision. Every one of those people at that level, Glenn Beck, Rick Warren, they are all, if you follow them, they will all lead you to hell. I don't care if they're like Glenn Beck's conservative or whatever. Ultimately, he could put out 98% truth, and it's that 2% of leaven that if you follow him, you're going to go straight into hell. Because they're going to ultimately point everybody to the Antichrist and the false prophet. That's why you got to be really, really, really careful who you trust. And why I tell people, don't rely on man, don't rely on me, rely on the word of God. Yes, the men of Ishakar were understanding, were, were men of great wisdom and understanding because they understood the times they lived in. That's what the Bible says about them. Okay? And it's good to understand the times, and that's what we do in this ministry. But... Always rely on the Word of God. The King James Bible in the English-speaking language, you want to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and do those things. And, and Because these, <laughs> virtually everywhere you look, you're having somebody trying to get you into hell, is what it boils down to. So I'm going to go ahead and end part one here, and we'll go to part two next. God bless you.